Today's episode of the Gaucho 9 Podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Kyle's Kitchen. Kyle's locations in Goleta and Santa Barbara are open for business, so head on in for lunch or dinner. Grab a burger, grab some fries, a nice fresh salad, or a nice cold lemonade, or an adult beverage, uh, and enjoy a nice meal courtesy of Kyle's Kitchen. Thank you so much to Kyle and all their support for the Gauchos and the podcast uh, over the last six months. It's been great. All right, on this week's episode... We've got the MLB report for the week leading up to today, September 22nd, and uh, Spencer and David join me on that. One disclaimer for that report, Kyle Nelson was sent back down to the taxi squad on the 17th, so the day after Bieber pitched. So Kyle uh, had one appearance, and then he was sent back down, and we were speculating after we recorded that if the Indians clinch a playoff spot sometime early this week that maybe Kyle will get called back up and get some action before the postseason. Uh, so that's the hope uh, from our end. Uh, so we'll hear the MLB report. We'll hear from Spencer and David, and then we'll get to the feature of this week's pod. Noah Davis and Eric Yang, who uh, crossed paths at UCSB. They pitched and caught together uh, in gaucho uniform, and then they met up once again in the Pioneer League in Billings, Montana, and pitched last summer and both had a lot of success together up for the Billings Mustangs. So uh, they also uh, have played a lot of golf and uh, along with myself, and so we had some fun with that conversation. So we'll have the MLB report for this week, and then Noah Davis and Eric Ng here on this episode of the Gouch 9 Podcast. It's one of the most beautiful views of any campus in America, the Pacific Ocean crashing against the shores of UC Santa Barbara every morning, noon, and night. Here's the one-strike pitch, and Mitchell belts us to deep left. Cabrera is going to watch it fly. He strikes out the side for the second consecutive inning, and Amani belts it to deep center. Gauchos are going to Omaha. Can you believe it? Here's the 0-2 pitch, and a curveball is swung on him in. And the score is two. Here comes Mitchell. He's going to score. And the Gauchos are the 2019 Champions of the Big All right, this week's MLB report is brought to you by the Gaucho Baseball Analytics Twitter page, SB Baseball Data over on Twitter. Go check them out. Lots of numbers and graphs from the team behind the scenes, crunching the numbers. Gaucho Baseball Analytics. We've got Spencer Stewart and David Tillotson for their third installment of the MLB reports for this week of September 22nd. And we're looking back at Kyle Nelson, Dylan Tate, and Shane Bieber. Their weeks on the mound. And fortunately, unfortunately, last week, Kyle Nelson did not get an appearance, but Dylan Tate made three relief appearances, and Bieber started on Thursday against the Tigers. So we'll break that down for you. Tate. This week, pitched against the Braves, and then two appearances over the weekend against the Rays. Uh, he did have a couple of strikeouts today, and he did log two and two-thirds innings. And he's been I don't know, just trying to solidify himself in that bullpen. But, uh, David, what did you see from Dylan today? Uh, finally got a couple of strikeouts. He's kind of been struggling to strike people out. I don't know if struggling is the right word, but he's been letting guys put the ball in play um, today, notched a couple Ks. Well, he's been drawing a lot of weak contact too. I mean, I know we've talked a lot about some of the ground balls that haven't necessarily gone his way with that sinker. He throws a lot, 
But today he was able to get two strikeouts, like you said, and help the Orioles get uh, a win finally in game four of their series against the Rays. Um, not the best week by his standards, I'm sure, um, with a couple of hits and runs allowed uh, in each game until today where he finally put that uh, goose egg up on the board. But um, like you said, he's just trying to solidify his position in that uh, bullpen. And he's been throwing a lot of key critical innings um, middle of close games for them. So I'm um, just looking forward to continuing to see him throw uh, in games as the year progresses. Yeah, those uh, those two strikeouts that he had today were the uh, first strikeouts that he's had in his last five outings. So, um, you know, I think he's trending upward. It might have something to do with the position that the Orioles are in now. Um, they are not mathematically out of the playoff race, but it's uh, looking like the AL is solidifying the uh, the top eight guys now. So he might be in a position where he's just feeling a little bit more loose. There's not as much pressure um, that uh, that he's got every time he steps on the mound. Um, he got put into a tight ball game today. Uh, the, the score was two to one, very low scoring game today. That's how it finished as well. But um, he gets a weak ground ball at first batter he faces and he gets bobbled by the shortstop. And then the next guy comes up and does another, you know, he hits another ground ball right to the same guy. Um, and that's the way the baseball rolls. But I'm sure, uh, you know, he, he would have wished that error didn't happen. A couple more wasted pitches. Maybe he could have gotten through that next inning fully. Um, but like you said, David, soft contact, um, that power sinker that he has, man, we saw in his uh, his outing on Thursday, we were watching the highlights, and he's got that 94-mile-an-hour sinker that it just takes off. Um, like uh, like May on the Dodgers. Um, yeah, he – the thing runs. I think it's got a – he's got that seam-shifted wake. Um, and it's untouchable when he gets it right. So guys were missing the ball today, and the, uh, those two strikeouts were, uh, were, were highlighting that for sure. Yeah, and, and the velo's been there for Dylan. And for you fantasy people out there, he did lock his second hold of the season in the, uh, in the sixth inning, a hold. Um, not sure if we're really keeping track of those, but it's just uh, something to throw up there for the stat people. Okay, let's move on to Bieber who pitched on Thursday against the Tigers. And once again, it was the Bieber show. Uh, it was seven shutout innings. He went out to pitch in the eighth. I think he had just one walk and eight strikeouts to that point. He got a, a strikeout then gave up a double and then got another strikeout. So he was, you know, an out away from going eight shutout innings. Uh, but the two out, three-run homer nicked him in the butt this time the Indians were leading 10 nothing, so he still got the win but I'm sure that left a sour taste in his mouth moving forward to his final two starts of the season but during the broadcast you know one big thing that came up was this stat involving Sandy Koufax and Dwight Gooden who are two Hall of Famers as they are the only pitchers in MLB history to lead the league so all of MLB American League and National League outright in wins strikeouts and ERA in a season those are the only two guys to do it and right now as it sits on this Sunday night Bieber is tied for the league lead and wins with eight he has a commanding lead in strikeouts with 112 and he has a slight edge in ERA at 1.74 so that would be something to finish the season with the lead in those three categories historic historic but 
uh, David, what did you see out of Bieber uh, in his start, and what did you think about him going out for the eighth inning? Well, like you said, it, it, you just come to expect dominance when you turn on the game and he's stepping on the mound in the first inning. Um, it seems like every game we're talking about 10 Ks, maybe one walk, um, maximum of three runs. So uh, his fastball and curveball would really stand out to me. Um, I was looking at countless guys. We talked about Yelich a few episodes back swinging at curveballs in the dirt, and it just continues to be a trend that I see over and over again. And when I looked a little bit deeper onto baseball savant, I noticed that he's got 41 inches of separation on his fastball and his curveball. So from about the same release point, you've got about half a second as a hitter to decide, is it going to be here? Is it going to be about three feet below where I think that fastball was going to be? And that's helping him get 52% whiffs this year on curveballs. So one out of two pitches, roughly when he throws that curveball, he's getting a swing and a miss and batters are only hitting 100 against that. So, uh, that two pitch mix has been absolutely devastating for hitters and has contributed a lot to what we see with those 10 strikeout games. And uh, another point that we had brought up uh, when we were discussing Beaver's last outing, um, he had 10 runs of support. That's uh, it's been the most he's gotten all season. Um, In his last six starts, he had only gotten 11 total runs. So about time he could go out there with, um, a little less weight on his shoulders and pitch a little bit more freely. And I think uh, his stats definitely resemble that. You know, he was putting putting the balls in the zone. He gave up four hits, um, but he was still getting those strikeouts. He, uh, with those 10 strikeouts, you know, as you had mentioned, he's now got 24 strikeout lead um, for the league lead over Trevor Bauer, who's got 88 at the moment. And um, it was awesome to see that because it, the offense looked great. And I think uh, as we get, towards the end of the season um, and, and towards the postseason, that offense is really going to need to help Bieber out because in the postseason, you just can't get away with the 2.8 runs per start that he's been averaging every time he steps foot on the rubber. So good for the offense to uh, to trend up, and, and it's great to see Bieber in the lead in all three of those statistics that you said, Kev. Yeah, when the game started, we were, we were texting because the Indians got one in the first, and I sent out a text, was like, you got to run in the first. Let's go. We're on our way to a win. And then it just kept going. It was like, yeah. hey, we got four. We got five. Four in the fifth and three in the sixth. Like, it, and then it was just, okay, how many strikers is he going to rack up? I mean, that, that's kind of what we go to. Like, that's what our brains go to just because Bieber's been so good that those are the types of things that we start to think about. It's almost like when you're watching, uh, like, Russell Wilson, for instance, like, it's Russell Wilson. And he throws one touchdown pass, and it's, okay, can he get three? And then he's got three. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the game, he's got five. Like, that's just kind of how Bieber has been with the the strikeouts and the innings pitched. Like, it's just been absolutely incredible. And when we've broken down the, like, the pitch types and, and the pitch sequences that he used, the percentages of pitches that he uses, looking at this, this these numbers that you guys wrote up here, so – even though the fastball and the curveball have probably been his most dominant pitch, like he doesn't throw the slider as much and he doesn't throw the, the cutter and the changeup as much, but I feel like the amount of strikeouts he's gotten with each pitch has kind of correlated with the percentage that he throws each pitch. So he's striking guys out with each pitch. Does that, does that make sense to you guys? 
Yeah, looking back at the, his usage percentages, we talked a little bit. His fastball was about 35, curveball about 25. The slider and cutter were about the 15 to 20% range, and then the changeup is about six. And so you look at the number of strikeouts he's had this year by pitches. He's got 48 strikeouts with the curveball, 35 with the fastball, and 23 with the slider. So he's really favoring those in the sort of put-away counts and with put-away pitches. And I think that changeup, could could get up there too we watched him throw that thing to lefties and and it's got the most horizontal movement of all of his pitches and it just fades away and dives away from those left hand swings and gets a lot of whiffs as well yeah and, and he's been throwing it like 2-0 so he'll fall behind 2-0 and then he'll like throw a change up in there especially to like a lefty and it'll it'll tail away they're way out in front thinking it might be backdoor curve or a get me over curve or a fastball but no it's a change up swing and miss like He's been throwing all those pitches in every count. It's been, yeah, I mean, what more can be said? So, again, that's Sandy Koufax and Dwight Gooden, only pitchers to league all of Major League Baseball in a single season, outright in wins, Ks, and strikeouts in the season. And if the regular season ended today, you could add Shane Bieber's name to that list. And he's got two more starts scheduled on the season. He's pitching Tuesday. So if you're listening to this on Tuesday, he's pitching tonight against the White Sox. And then he will pitch on the last day of the season, most likely against the Pirates. That remains to be seen. I, I would venture to guess that he will probably start on Friday just to keep him in the rotation. But he'll have two more starts left, and he's got a chance to win 10 games. Think about that. He's got a chance to win 10 games in a 60-game season. How about that? Well, had it been a normal season, those 10 wins would have calculated out to 27 total. So 27-win season? <laughs> I think uh, – I think at that point it's it's a shoe and for a Cy Young contention. Um, I think one of the things that I'm I'm really stoked to see is that he's holding that that strikeout per nine um, strikeout per nine uh, record that he's got. He's got almost 14. He's got 13.94 strikeouts per nine, and um, it's just it's just dominance. So uh, he's got to keep it up for two more starts and um, and then roll right into that postseason. Yeah, the Indians currently holding the number seven seed in the AL. Two games up on Toronto, and uh, most likely they will be uh, in the postseason unless something drastic happens in these last couple weeks. So if you're listening to this on Tuesday, check out Bieber tonight against the White Sox, and he's also pitching uh, the following Sunday against the Pirates. So wait, so this is the last week of the season. Is that correct? Oh, my gosh. Last week of the Major League season, so we got playoffs coming up, and uh, we'll we'll monitor Bieber's starts in the playoffs. Um, and, yeah, um, that'll do it for the MLB Report for this week. David and Spencer, thank you so much. All right, today on the Gaucho 9 podcast, we got a pair of Gauchos who are recent alumni. They were a pitcher-catcher duo with the Gauchos, and they are a pitcher-catcher duo now with the Cincinnati Reds. Introducing the first guy, right-handed pitcher out of Huntington Beach. He was a Gaucho between 2016 and 2018. 11th round pick of the Cincinnati Reds, and he's the only Gaucho to record a victory as a pitcher in the College World Series. That was in 16 against Miami. 
please welcome to the Gaucho Nine podcast, Noah Davis. How we doing? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So what's with the hair? And then you got ferns in the background. Like we got all kinds of stuff going on. What's happening? Yeah. So I guess I've really just taken on the wild boy persona since, uh, since COVID kind of ended the whole baseball deal for the time being. Um, we got the hair flowing. We've got the luxurious leaves in the background. Um, but yeah, kind of just took some time to really get in touch with my Southern California roots. And this is where I'm at these days. Okay. Introducing second out of West Hills. He was a gaucho between 2017 and 2019, a seventh round pick of the Cincinnati Reds. He was a 2019 first team All Big West and, as a catcher, won the 2019 Big West Field Player of the Year. In his career, he hit 311. He socked seven home runs and drove in 59 runs. Please welcome to the Gaucho Nine Pod, Eric Yang. What's yeah, up, EY? Happy to be here. And that Are you career. The career 311 really got boosted by the last year because the yeah, all those, did not do all anything stats, to help that. Are all those stats just from 2019 and then what else came from before that? 2019 inflated them, that's for sure. It was a heck of a year, wasn't it, 2019? I mean, in the fall, I remember we, like, I, was, I was interviewing Evan Short and and he brought up your name, Yang. He was like, Yang has completely turned a corner. Like he was not the same guy last year as he is now. And I get we'll we'll just jump in and get into this right now because I was going to bring it up at some point. But like, what was the biggest difference to you for you between your first two years and that 2019 season? I mean, what made you tick as a hitter? Uh, definitely Ferg coming in. That was huge. He really helped with, like, the confidence piece. The first two years I was in there, I was kind of just happy to be in the lineup. I wasn't, like, thinking I'm the man or anything. I'm just happy to be playing. But then, like, I really started building confidence in those inner squads. And, like, through the year, I'm like, yo, I can hit. Like, let's do this thing. No, you weren't around for that 2019 season. You had, you had moved on. But you were around in the fall. And you were tracking the Gauchos. Like, what did you think of Eric's performance during that season from the outside looking in? Yeah, I mean, I, I was around a lot in the fall of that. Uh, I guess it would have been fall of 2018. Uh, I spent a lot of time sitting back behind home plate with Evan Short, having a lot of conversations with him about how a lot of guys had taken a step forward, especially with the new coaching staff and kind of this new ideology of hitting and a lot of guys were taking big steps and EY was definitely one of those guys. You could kind of see it right away. Um, and then it was, it was no surprise to me when, when I kept following the games in the spring to see him and a bunch of other guys really produce out there in a way that we haven't really seen with the Gaucho lineup up to that point. Yeah. I mean, a big time year. I mean, it seemed like every game Eric was coming up in a big spot either hitting a double in the gap or, or hitting it over the fence. And then of course, managing the pitching staff and we'll get to you guys, your guys relationship as a pitcher catcher duo uh, later on. But I guess the, the first place I want to start is where you guys have been this summer. Cause it's been weird. It's been 
mysterious, but it's in some ways I think it's been a good summer and a fun summer. Um, it's certainly been fun for myself on the golf course. We have played together, the three of us, at one point or another. So like, I'm not going to lie, that's been fun. Uh, but as far as like baseball things go, what have you guys been been up to uh, to keep yourselves strong, to keep yourselves in shape, uh, keep your timing down in the box, and to keep your arm strength up? Let's uh, go with EY first. I mean, I've been in Santa Barbara this whole time working out at Platinum Fitness down in Summerlin, where we were all off season, and just doing the usual hitting in the cage, catching bullpens. But this summer's actually like as much as it sucks to not have baseball, it's been cool because this is probably like the first summer in I don't know at least like ten years where there's no baseball. Like you're just you just have a summer to yourself, kind of. Usually, like uh, travel baseball all the time when you're younger high school summer ball, all that, college summer ball. So this is the first summer, like, you really get to just enjoy, like, summer. No, D? Yeah, I mean, I, up until about mid-May, I had been up in Santa Barbara with Yang, uh, kind of with our same group that we had been training with uh, throughout the whole off season. a bunch of notable UCSB alumni still getting after it after we got sent home from spring training. Um, and then in about mid-May, I had a little bit of arm trouble. So I kind of used that opportunity to come back to Huntington Beach where I grew up and kind of separate myself from baseball a little bit. I didn't really have a choice at that point, but it was good to uh, kind of take a mental break, kind of clock out for a little bit, reevaluate. Uh, what I'm kind of doing in life in general outside of baseball. It was good to kind of get back in touch with that. Uh, I was able to have a summer kind of just as a normal 23-year-old in Southern California, got a regular job and uh, spent a lot of time down by the docks at my work and at the beach and kind of took a mental break. And then in the last couple months, I've kind of ramped it back up into that baseball activity uh, just kind of getting ready for any sort of opportunity they have for us, whether it be a fall league or instructional league or whatever's coming down the road. Um, so finally getting back into that baseball swing, but it was definitely nice to kind of separate for a little bit and reevaluate things. Yeah. What, what kind of stuff were you guys able to do together? Cause you guys play for the same team. So you're on the same kind of, schedule or at least the coaches are telling you the same things um actually let me let me change the question uh because i remember when you guys came back from spring training uh in march because you had like you were there for what like two days something like that we were there for over a month because we had instructs before spring training okay Okay, you guys did go to Instructs. Yeah, so we were there for over a month, and then the day spring training started, I think, is That's the right. day we sent us home, right now? Yeah, yeah, so we were there for a while before um, in a smaller group, kind of getting our work in. We are actually roommates out there in Arizona, so spent a lot of time together over that month from mid-February to mid-March, um, but yeah. Because <laughs> it was like, all right, we're playing games, and then – Next day, it's see you later, go home. And you guys, you guys, you guys showed up at the yard, and I was like, "Wait, weren't you guys just in Arizona yesterday?" It was, it was pretty bizarre. 
<laughs> that's pretty much how it went down. I mean, they told us we were going to be gone. Like I left all my stuff in my locker. They, I thought we were going to be back in two weeks. So I was like, all right, we'll go crash at someone's house in IV. We can get all the work done there and then we'll be back in no time. But that's not how it went down clearly. So during the, during the summer, like, were you guys able to throw bullpens together and, and, and work on the craft? Cause you guys caught, you guys played together in college and then you, you played together last year in Billings. Like, was it, were you guys able to be productive together? Like Yang catching Davis, like that sort of deal? Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been super easy actually. Uh, with us being on the same team, being a pitcher catcher combo, Yang needs to get receiving work and all his catching deal and, Obviously, I need someone to catch my bullpens and stuff, so it kind of works out perfectly, uh, especially spending most of our time in the offseason together in, in Santa Barbara. And then when COVID shut down the season again, we just went back to Santa Barbara and kind of picked up right where we left off, uh, still getting that work in and trying kind of scrambling to find a field to throw it at, dodging dodging all the, the obstacles with that. But, uh, but yeah, it's – when all things considered, it's a pretty, pretty nice setup to have the both of us together and kind of on the same page as far as an organization standpoint. You got anything to add? Yeah, I was going to say, like, when we got back, we had a nice setup at Westmont going. Like, Noah, Bieber, Nelly were all there. So, I had a good amount of pens to catch. And we honestly had no – real limitations we could do it all we had all our work going and then we take the daily trip up to lizard's mouth at the end of the day <laughs> that's that's not a bad place to go right after yeah after you get your work in it's See, that's an example like that's some stuff i never got to do living in santa barbara like as a student on the team like you just never have time to really do that so it was nice we we're crushing all the hiking trails all that stuff Okay, let's let's backtrack a little bit and talk about your transition from high school to college. Because I'm I'm curious, like other schools that were looking at you and what the recruiting situation was like for each of you and how you guys wound up at UCSB. So, Noah, do you want to break down like how you decided on being a gaucho? Yeah. So, I had not really been receiving much attention in, up in my first two years in college or in high school, sorry. And then uh, the summer going into my junior year, I started to kind of pick up a little bit in velo. Uh, I had a few good outings in a row out on the travel ball circuit. And uh, I kind of caught the attention from the current UCSB recruiters at the time would have been Neil Walton and Jason Hawkins. Um, and so started communicating with Hawkins took a visit up to Santa Barbara. Uh, they actually offered me before I took the trip up. And then when I knew that I had the offer waiting, and then just before I even got to the campus on Santa Barbara, I was driving down PCH up to the front of the campus. And I basically at that point had already made up my mind that I wanted to go there. <laughs> uh, just kind of seeing that coastline and the drive leading up to the campus was unbelievable. And then you get on campus and it's right on the beach. It's a very similar vibe to where I grew up in. And at the time I was pretty set that I wanted to be near the ocean. Uh, so it was a pretty easy choice for me. At this point, I don't even know how seriously I had been taking baseball yet. 
but I knew it was a great school, great academics, great social scene, uh, perfect weather, perfect location, not really anything else you could ask for. And then on top of that, it was a program that was starting to ride, kind of rise its way to the top, uh, starting to develop some real pro prospects and as well as a competitive Big West team. So it was pretty easy for me to make my decision. It was the first offer I had, um, but I definitely didn't regret it. I kind of stuck with that verbal commitment for a couple of years. And then by the time I put the pen to paper, it was, it was go time. I was ready to go. Yeah. And, and Eric, you, you came in in 2017. So that was right on the heels of the college world series. Did that have any influence in your decision? So I think I committed before that college world series season, but like, no, I didn't really have anything. And then there was the area code tryouts. I started getting a lot of interest from schools, took the visit to UCSB, got the offer. And I think it was funny, like two days later, I didn't even tell my parents. I just called up Eddie and I was like, <laughs> hey, I'm coming. Like, this is where I want to go. And then I, I was at dinner with my friends, actually. And I stepped outside of the parking lot to tell him. And then I got home that night and I told my mom that I called Eddie and committed. And she was like, yeah, I knew that was going to be like the spot for you. And mom, worked mom out well. knows. Yeah, mom knows more mm -hmm. often than not. <laughs> well, let's see. Each of your guys' first years. I mean, Noah, you came out and you were you were pitching on the weekends for the Gauchos in 2016, and you were you were pitching behind uh, guys like Bieber. And you had Nelly on that staff. You had Trevor Betancourt on that staff, Justin Kelly, like a lot of older guys and guys that had been there, done a lot. Did they have any influence on, on you that freshman season? Because it was kind of a steady build up to that start against Miami. But, like, what kind of impact did those guys have on you that freshman season? Yeah, it was a, it was a pretty – unique experience for me to kind of jump in on a pitching staff that was pretty old for a college baseball team in general. Uh, but at the same time coming in in 2016, there were still a couple of open spots in the rotation for me to slide in when Dylan Tate and Justin Hockame are both departing. And obviously Shane Beaver is going to be the Friday guy, but that still leaves two open spots for the weekend. Um, and I kind of came and had to fight for my life in that fall of my freshman year to kind of get in there. But um, I don't know if you could ask for a better atmosphere when you got guys like Justin Kelly, James Carter was coming back from his Tommy John surgery, Trevor Betancourt and Kyle Nelson, uh, all those guys, pretty grizzly vets and super talented. So it was pretty nice to be able to pick their brain as I'm kind of learning the ways of college baseball, you got guys that have been through the JUCO route, been at other schools, uh, kind of experienced it all. So any sort of question I had, I just had an answer from one of those guys. Uh, and it was, it was really huge kind of being just standing in line with those guys during drills. They really kind of snapped you into shape, whether you wanted to or not. Like they, they really just kind of instilled the way that Gaucho baseball is supposed to be played onto you. And it's either you kind of ride with us or you're going to get left behind. So uh, it was a pretty good learning experience. I was able to pick their brains as well as kind of just learn the way that college baseball should be played and how you're supposed to respect the game and go about your business and 
it was it was pretty cool to be able to do that with those guys. So we get into did you make a start in the you had to have made a start. I'm I'm going off the top of my head here. A start in Nashville. Yeah, so I, I started the second game in Nashville. So we got rained out. Uh, so I got delayed a bit, but I started yeah, game two versus Xavier. Or I guess the first game of the two games we played against Xavier. Right. And it was a it was a tight game and that was a game Justin Kelly came in and and just dominated in relief on the way to the win. So we get to Omaha. What was what was your first impression of of Omaha when you got there? Well, it was definitely nice to be able to watch a game before I had to take the mounds. It was uh, <laughs> I still think that that moment of standing on the line that first game of the College World Series when uh, we had the flyover standing on the line during the national anthem. I'd like get goosebumps just even thinking about it right now. But it's it's one of the top moments in my entire life for sure. So I was glad that I didn't have to go take the ball right after that and go try and get people out. So I'm glad I was able to separate myself a little bit, kind of take it all in and kind of make some mental notes about when I was actually going to start playing. Uh, and then obviously I get to go watch Shane Bieber do his thing. Uh, he ended up taking the loss in that game, but it was one of the best pitch games he had all year for sure. Did you know? Did you know that you were going to start game two? Like, when did you find out? Um, I mean, I, I guess in my head, I was preparing to start that game from the get-go. I'm not. I can't remember exactly, but I'm sure that uh, the way things went about on that team, it was pretty much by committee at all times. So. In my head, I was preparing as if I was going to start that game from the moment we went to Omaha. Uh, but I'm sure that Chekets probably announced it maybe the day before or a couple days before. And then you get the assignment and you go out there and you're facing Miami. Did you have any idea of what Miami, like the history of their program and, and, and the type of players they had that year, like was that intimidating to you at all or was it just another baseball game? Um, I'm not sure if it was as much the team we were playing as it, as it was the kind of the stage, uh, knowing that you're going to be playing on ESPN kind of like prime time. It's the biggest game you can get other than the major league baseball playoffs, I would think. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, you know, Miami, they're historically great program. They're open. They have like, what is it? Somewhere between 20 and 40 college world series appearances or something like that. Um, they're constantly producing big leaguers. So that's in your head a little bit. But at that point, we had been playing ranked teams all, all year long. We had hung with them. Uh, I knew that our team had a totally fine chance to go ahead and kind of step up against them. I mean, coming off of a series against Louisville where no one in the world expected us to win, it was kind of hard to feel anything less than unbeatable at that point. Let's pull uh, Let's pull Yang in here. Eric, I know you weren't on the team for this year. You were still a senior in high school, but were you watching the Gauchos in that postseason knowing that this is where you were going to play the next year? So I watched every College World Series game, but <laughs> after our senior year of high school, we had a senior trip to Cancun. And I was in Cancun for that super regional. Oh, wow. And there's, like, no phone service. So – I was never on Twitter or anything. 
and I didn't find out until like two days later that Sam hit that walk-off home run. <laughs> which, yeah, but that was sick to see. So if you had been, if you had been uh, in avail, you know, had access to a television, or if you were at home or in the states or whatever, you probably would have been watching that game. Oh yeah, I would have been glued to the TV. <laughs> but so you were, but you were able to watch the uh, the World Series games. Yeah, I watched every single pitch of that uh, when they played Oklahoma State. That was who it was, right? Yep. Eber was pitching. Yeah, I watched every single pitch of that game. Did you did you have any thoughts about Noah Davis's start against Miami? I I missed that game. I saw the highlights. I saw the the big bomb that Zach Collins hit because that was the first thing on the highlights. <laughs> oh yeah. But that was a good start in a big it, stage. Yeah, how about that Zach Collins cuz I was calling the game on the radio. And and that one goes up, and I'm thinking to myself, oh boy. And when we talked to JJ and 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 Fish, they were kind of thinking the same thing. So, how do you rebound after a swing like that in the first inning, in an elimination game, and on that big stage? Well, leading up to that, they had told me that I mean, from watching BP and watching Austin Bush struggle to get balls out of that stadium, which, right? I mean, that's a big boy. He had as much power as anyone I'd ever seen in college. So I basically thought it was impossible to hit a home run there. And I was quickly proven wrong. Oh, <laughs> um, but I don't know that year, that year and kind of my whole college career, some of my best outings I had were ones where I got hit pretty hard in the first. I gave up uh, to Long Beach State back-to-back -back years, home runs on the first and second pitches of the game. Oh yeah, so I remember that. Those both ended up, being one of my better outings so sometimes it's it's good for me to get a little punch in the face kind of go out there and reset and lock it in for the rest of the game but um yeah it's definitely not a good feeling to be down one nothing going into the bottom of the first <laughs> well it, it turned out all right and I love watching the highlight tape of that because you had Fastball in the corners, you had the changeup working, you had a curveball working. Like there was one sequence where you struck out a guy on a fastball, then you got a guy on a change, then you got a guy on a curve. And it's just it was a, a great start and you had you have the only win on your record, uh, by a gaucho in the College World Series. So hopefully that changes soon and there are more gauchos that have wins in the in the World Series, but uh own it while you got it. Um Was that the only run you gave up, Noah? Yeah, that was the only one. Yeah. That was like the first time I remember thinking during that game, I had barely thrown my changeup all year long. My changeup was like my worst pitch. And then all of a sudden that day it just showed up out of nowhere. And it, uh, good thing it did because I was throwing about 86 miles an hour because my foot was broken. Um, so I needed that changeup. But <laughs> good thing it showed up on, on that stage. Yeah, the, the broken foot. The, or the, the fracture or the stress fracture or whatever you call it. And then, and then the Tommy John, we'll get to the Tommy John, but let's skip ahead to the, the following year. And, and when you guys played together in college, do you guys remember any starts or moments where you guys were both on the field at the same time that kind of stood out? I wasn't uh, on the field much in 2017 because we had Dempsey, T-Rose, Sam, I think 
I made my way on there later in the year, but I never caught on Fridays when Noah was throwing. Yeah, I think uh, Yang and I really started to become like the true battery, I guess, would have been like the fall of my junior year. So it would have been leading up, leading up to the 2018 season. Yeah. Um, and then we, we were the battery for opening day at San Diego State in 2018, uh, which didn't end up going <laughs> super well. Uh, but um, so, yeah, I, guess, I mean, but in the fall, I could really tell that, like, we had built some good chemistry and stuff and we were on the same page. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's all about what could have been, I guess, in that 2018 year. But uh, we were able to go out there three times, I think, together. Didn't, and, didn't you, you got a save in uh, Corpus Christi, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> there was like that weird game when I came in out of the bullpen um, week two of the 2018 season, and I got a save. And I, re- I actually remember being more nervous to get that save than I was going out to pitch in the College World Series my freshman year. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and it, it is the only save of your career. I don't, That's I don't, true. I don't know if you have any blown saves, but you do have that save. <laughs> that was probably the opportunity. Yeah, I did. I did snake a couple wins in relief my freshman year when I was coming off of that foot injury. Uh, I think I snaked a couple of Nelly's wins, but I guess it just returns the favor. He got a couple of mine too. <laughs> All right, let's 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 focus on uh, some EY here real quick. So in in 2019, you've got the. I guess, what do you call it? you got the keys to the pitching staff. you got the trust of the pitching staff. You've got – you were calling games, weren't you? Yeah, so that all came about um, – it was – I think it was a Tuesday game at USC, and Dashwood was pitching. And after, like, the second inning, Chex just was like, do it. And I think Dashwood had, like, a no-hitter into, like, the eighth or something. Do you remember that game? I do. It was, yeah, because Jack, he was pitching on a Tuesday. It was a little strange. I think it was maybe because of like a, we had a rain, delay. rain, rain out yeah. somewhere and that pushed Jack's start. And so he was throwing on Tuesday. Chex lets you call the games. And I know Coach Chex, he, he loves having, he loves having control over the game and, and he would like to call the game more often than not. But he also loves having a catcher that can do all the stuff that you know the best guys do, like the Yadier Molinas, that yeah. can call a game, that can read batters, that can feel out how their pitcher's feeling, interact with them, like communicate during, during the game. Because you've got a better idea of what the pitcher's pitches are doing, you know, sometimes more than the pitcher itself, you know, and, and certainly you've got a better vantage point than the coaches in the dugout more often than not. So, like – is it more of an instinctual thing for you or is it something that you work on? I mean, I think I had a huge advantage because Jack and Ben, I've lived with the dude for the guys for two years. So like we would always talk pitching like back at Trop in the dorms and stuff. And I lived with Jack my junior year. So I knew like the two of the three starting pitchers very well. And then Rod, Rod can throw anything for a strike whenever. So it's fairly simple. You just throw a changeup down, and someone's going to swing through it. So it's it's continuity. I had a conversation with someone today. Uh, it was about basketball, but 
there is something to be said about continuity. Like, I think the, the structure of the conversation was it's you can throw good players together, but they could be beaten easily by a team that knows each other, that has chemistry, that can feed off of each other and know where people are going to be, you know, ahead of time, anticipate things. Like, I think the same has to go with pitcher-batter combination. Like, you as a catcher, you know all the pitchers' nuances. You know what they like to throw in certain counts, like all that stuff. And you don't just learn that stuff on the field. There's the off-the-field stuff as well and bullpen work. Like, yeah, am I right in saying that? Definitely. Like, I I knew if a pitcher was going to shake, I had a good enough relationship with all those guys where I knew, like, what their second option was. Me and Chex would work together sometimes, like, if – he knew a batter's weakness better. I was pretty much just going off pitchers' strengths and what they're comfortable with and what I know they can land. But I would look at checks every now and then, and he would give me something based on, like, the shift and all that stuff. But the chemistry between, like, the pitching staff and me, I think, was the main thing. Noah, is that is that something that you like as a pitcher? Like, you want to have – I mean, it's. I think it's. It's obvious. I'm saying something obvious here that you obviously want to have a relationship with your catcher. But like, does it go beyond that in certain aspects? Yeah. So I mean, Yang's one of my closest friends, so it makes it a lot easier. Um, but he's also one of the easiest guys to get along with, and that's why I can see when we went out to Billings last year, like all the pitchers know that they want to throw to Yang. It's like he's one of the easiest guys. When you just know that he's not going to yell at you or he's going to work with you and he's just like constructive criticism and you know he's on your team with everything, it makes pitching a lot easier. Um, but you definitely want to be on the same page. You kind of build that relationship on and off the field. Uh, and then you just feel totally comfortable when you're out there. And over the years, we've had a bunch of conversations about like my pitches, pitches in general, his receiving, blocking, framing, all that stuff. Uh, so I think we both have a pretty good feel for each other at, at this point as players, and it definitely works to our advantage on the field. I mean, the pitchers also help me out just as much as I help them out. We talk about, like, different stances, what they like throwing to and all that stuff. So it's like it, it's a battery. <laughs> You need both ends to be working. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give Eric some time to gloat here. So do you have a, your, your Big West Field Player of the Year trophy? Yeah. Is, is, is it big and shiny and, and like all fancy-like? Yeah, I dust it every week. <laughs> Make sure it stays shiny. Uh, so when you were awarded that, was it? Did you anticipate it happening or was it kind of a surprise? Like, was it a goal to, to do something like that or was it you were just out doing your thing? I didn't have it as a goal, but towards the end of the year, I thought like it might be a possibility. I thought it was either going to be me or Brandon Lewis from Irvine, who I'm actually good friends with now. But it ended up being me, which was cool. And I, I like it. It's a cool accolade. Yeah, well well deserved. And so you guys both get picked by the Reds. Yang in the seventh round, no D in the eleventh round, and 
Noah, your selection was interesting because you had already had your Tommy John surgery because you, you went down in the middle of the season in 2018. And in my notes written here, I wanted to ask you, like, because going down with Tommy John, like having to have that surgery, like it's a setback, right? Like it sucks. Nobody wants that. And especially in a draft year, it probably raises a lot of doubts. So like, I'm, I want to know like what your initial reaction was when you had the surgery. And then what did the draft do to like your motivations or your, or what your plans were? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a setback. Uh, leading up to, I guess, that moment when I got injured, I had kind of felt the hype building up around me, I guess. Uh, I honestly didn't even know if all of it was warranted. I was kind of confused by the whole thing. Uh, but, I mean, I guess I, I had started throwing harder. My stuff was starting to be a little bit sharper. I was really liking where I was at. I wasn't yet getting the results that I wanted, but I could see the pieces kind of forming and I could, I could see the image in my head of becoming like a major league baseball player. I was starting to see that image start to form. Um, so then the draft is coming around and I'm building up and obviously you want to go out and have a great spring. And that kind of makes a big difference in where you fall in the draft. And then when that season gets cut short, I, had a really hard time even wrapping my head around the fact that I was going to be one of those Tommy John guys in my head. I just had these guys in a group of like, Oh, they're Tommy John guys. And then all of a sudden I was going to be one of them. Yeah. Negative label. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, a negative label in my head. I don't know where that comes from. It just, you watch other guys go through it. You definitely don't want to go through that yourself. Um, I mean, I, I, got to watch Jack Dashwood go through that whole thing. He was my mentor uh, his freshman year when he was going through it and saw how hard he worked and stuff to get back to full form and how long of a grind it is. But it took me a while, even after the surgery, I actually, even to this day, it kind of blows my mind that I even had the surgery, <laughs> but I've made it out. Um, but yeah, that definitely sucked. It was kind of a shame to see, that happened I felt like kind of my innings contributed on that team in 2018 would have made a pretty big difference especially with how kind of inexperienced that pitching staff was as a whole I think I could have contributed some being one of those experienced guys who had been there before we had a ton of talent on that team as you saw those guys go on to take major leaps forward in 2019 it would have been nice to see that team kind of come together a year earlier and kind of put things together uh, but on a personal level, it did suck. It it dropped me in the draft a little bit, I think. But I was really lucky to land with an organization who does a great job of kind of rehabbing their players and giving you a good uh, kind of guideline for getting back to form. And they really just gave me all the tools I needed. All I had to do was do the work. So I was really fortunate to end up with with the Cincinnati Reds in that in that situation. Yeah, and the Reds, they've they've got some Southern California roots uh, up with their big club. I mean, you talk about Trevor Bauer, you talk about Michael Lorenzen, like guys that play in the Big West and the Pac-12. Who stock uh, it too. And, yeah. Yeah, so, so Eric gets picked in 19, 
and you get assigned to you went straight to Billings, right? Yeah, I went straight to Billings. And Noah, you had a little stint in Arizona, and then you went up to Billings. But like, Eric, like the first time that that you saw Noah pitch up there in in Pioneer League, like, was it a big difference between what he looked like in college? Like, did he look strong? stronger coming off of the Tommy John was he like more refined like being having some time in the professional atmosphere yeah def I don't I didn't catch his first start it was in Missoula right now yeah I couldn't believe they didn't let Yang catch my first start I yeah, was, I'm, I was, I was upset. in that game but he did good right you went like four or five innings yeah I I was surprised because I was getting I was getting lit up in the Arizona league I thought that's right. I thought I wasn't even going to make it out. I was giving up runs left and right in Arizona, and then they gave me the call to Billings, and I was like, thank God I got out of there. I, I didn't know if I was going to survive the year. Um, yeah, it, it was good to get out there. It was definitely cool to see him pitch, though, after so long, and all that Tommy John rehab stuff. That's tough on people. We had Noah comes up and makes eight start in Pioneer League, 2.1 ERA, did 30 strikeouts, 13 walks. And then Eric, no slouch with the bat in your 51 games as a professional catcher. 290 average, nine doubles, four homers, 29 RBIs. Like, did it – what was the biggest thing that you noticed? Um, this question is directed at, at Yang. What was the biggest thing you noticed uh, – between college and and that Pioneer League. Pioneer League is 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 it rookie? Yeah, it's rookie okay. ball. So a lot of younger guys. Um the raw talent is just a lot better, I'd say. People aren't going to be as good in the zone necessarily, but everyone's going to throw harder. Everyone's breaking stuff's going to break for the most part. Uh it's it's totally different really. But it took me a while to adjust. The first three games I got there, I was horrible. I was like, I think I probably went 0 for 10 with a good amount of strikeouts. And then I had to go to Wichita for the Buster Posey thing. And I kind of had like three days right there just to refresh my mind. And then once I got back, I just went on a tear and then lost it towards the end. But it was definitely a good experience the whole year. Do you like swinging the wood bats? Because that, that's a transition in itself where you play a whole college season and then, all right, here, you're going to rookie ball and you're going to swing wood. Was it a big adjustment for you or is, is it is it kind of normal? Uh, it was a minor adjustment considering, like, high school summer ball, you're always using wood. Uh, college summer ball is all wood. And, like, usually when I'd hit in the cage at UCSB, I'd use wood when I can. So it wasn't a major adjustment, but the whole breaking bat things was hard to get used to. I think I broke three bats in less than 10 at-bats in, like, a two-game span, and it was tough. So you're, you're, like, you're like J.J. Muno, a notorious bat breaker. Now, J.J.'s not a bat breaker. He's a bat thrower. <laughs> <laughs> no batting gloves. Those, that, those things just oh, go yeah. flying. <laughs> I've seen that happen a couple of times. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, what was Billings like just in general? Like the Pioneer League, what are the cities that you guys go to? What are the ballparks like? Um, 
I know Noah said that he really liked it just because, I mean, he's back out on the field and pitching. Like, that was one of the main reasons. But, like, what is it like as an atmosphere as far as uh, baseball goes? Well, we definitely had the best setup in the Pioneer League, I think. Oh, yeah, for sure. So our stadium was – uh, like a full stadium with a concourse that goes all the way around. We're getting like 2,500, 2,800 fans a game. Um, really nice playing surface. Uh, the city of Billings was pretty cool. It was the biggest city in Montana, which, I mean, I guess there's only like 100,000 people there. So compared to California, big cities, it's it's not huge. But I I really like every chance I get to get out of California and kind of experience something different. Um, but it was just really cool to kind of see the whole town kind of rally around your team like that. Um, I mean, in Santa Barbara, we've been trying to kind of raise the attendance for a while, kind of getting people to recognize that the program's on the up and up. Uh, but some of those, it's a big difference going from some of those Tuesday games at Caesar to 2,800 people actually watching your game and, and, and rookie ball nonetheless. Um, but you get to go to some cool places. You got to drive quite a bit in that league. A lot of eight-hour bus rides. Uh, thankfully, I got out there the week after Yang and the rest of the team made a trip all the way down to Colorado. I think that was like 16 hours or something like that. I think it was 13. It was tough, though. Yeah. But Billings, for me, the baseball atmosphere was awesome. But I was struggling, like, just with the lifestyle until Noah got there because – I was living in the hotel, which is a walk away from across the street from the baseball field. So I was kind of confined to a small area, but Noah had the car. So we got to explore the city a little bit, which made it a lot better. Well, it's big sky country up there in Montana. I haven't been personally, but I've always wanted to go like other than baseball. Like you say, you got a car, like, are you able to like get out in the countryside and, and, and see Montana, like the nature, or is it mostly just hanging out in the city? You get to see it on the golf courses. The yeah, golf was great. Uh, These are straight golf. Okay, so we're doing our golf transition. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> <laughs> to the listeners out there, I'm not going to lie. Like My mind is firmly on my golf game. It will change once the Gauchos take the field again, but like – I've played a lot of golf with Eric this summer and got to play with Noah Davis. And this past week, I finally got to play around at Lacumbra Country Club. And you guys both worked there. When was it? Was it last summer or was it this summer? It was last fall. Okay, last fall. Yeah. So, like, how did you guys get the gig at Lacumbra and what was it like working over there? So... John Davis actually got us the job there, or not Noah, but he got me and Tommy the job, which was extremely helpful. And it was really, I wasn't taking classes, so I had way too much free time. I was like, I need to do something. I might as well work at the golf course. And Lacumbre is probably one of the nicer ones out there. And free golf, that pays for itself right there. Yes, this was fall 2019. So yep. you were, uh, cool. it was your first fall of pro ball, essentially. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. What was it like for you, Noah? Yeah, I was, uh, it was pretty cool. It was 
kind of my first experience in the real working world outside of outside of any sort of baseball activity so it was cool to step into that different lifestyle of kind of putting your your nose to the dirt and grinding a little bit uh getting those communication skills up dealing with people uh, and then the perks of that job obviously getting to play that course just absolutely beautiful and uh, it's not like it's a public course it's not like you can just pay to play there so we were able to play on one of the nicest courses around and kind of hang out there I got to learn a lot about golf um, and yeah it was just a nice atmosphere to be at every day so how, how much golf have you played Noah because last time I played with you you were a little rough around the edges but you were starting to figure it out yeah, so I I actually played my first round ever when we got to Billings. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> I think Yang's got some videos of me swinging that, out there. That was the best first round of golf I've ever seen someone play. Really? Yeah, I almost hit a hole in one. On a par four. Um, yeah, <laughs> over a lake. Stumbling a around line. in the tee box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stumbling around the tee box, over some water, blind green. Yang just told me to aim over these trees and I hit it there. And then we went up there and it, there was a divot about four feet in front of the pin and the ball was sitting right there. So from our wow. estimation, we think that it, it hit that divot and then bounced off the, off the pin. No and doubt. So definitely no doubt. did not make the Eagle putt, but I think <laughs> I got a birdie out of that. We might've been playing a scramble. I can't even remember. It was a scramble. Yeah. But but the courses up there in in Montana, I mean, probably great views. Oh, unbelievable, Cannon. Okay, so I, I gotta go. We had we had a good setup, so this country club would let us and like our coaches play for free, like whenever. So we'd go out on the off days, and they had these demo clubs. So you were using like all the new Titleists, the Taylor made, oh, wow. and they just set us free. This place had black sand in the bunkers. It was awesome black sand yeah the off days were great we'd have like four foursomes out there our whole team just messing around it was a fun time uh, sign me up for that uh, i might move to billings work for the uh mustangs right yep <laughs> I like santa barbara a lot more canon <laughs> <laughs> well I, I have enjoyed the golf that we've been able to play this summer i'm, I'm not gonna lie it's been fun um Hopefully we don't have as much time to golf in the near future because because we're playing baseball. That's what we all want. Uh, and I, I do like to end the conversation with recent alumni guys that are still playing with, like, what what are your guys' goals for the upcoming year, assuming that we're going to play baseball in summer 2021? Like, what are your guys' personal goals um, as far as uh, baseball goes? Uh, for me personally, I'm just looking forward to having a healthy year for the first time since 2017. Uh, so, I mean, that sounds like forever ago, I guess it's been almost three years since the last time I put together a full season of work. Um, but obviously, I mean, with the Reds, we hired Kyle Bodie, bunch of new coaches, uh, kind of getting that driveline factor into the pitching staff with the Reds. Uh, so we've been exposed to a ton of new information which really has kind of changed the way that I think about pitching in general. Uh, I'm able to take a more analytical approach, 
be able to calculate some of the things. It's all stuff that people around baseball have kind of known for a long time. Like you want your pitches to break this way. You want to throw them in this location. This is where it's most effective, but it just gives you some sort of scientific backing that supports those claims, which me being a pretty analytical guy myself, it, it's right up my alley. Uh, so being able to use those kind of things and kind of fine tune things, um, I want to be able to take those things and go out and perform. But at the base level, I really just want to go out and play a full season of baseball. It feels like it's been forever. Yeah, I just can't wait to get back out there. It feels like we haven't played in forever. I also have only played a 70-game season. I was in short season last year, so I'm excited to see what the 140-game full season is like and how I can handle it and all that stuff. It's it's great how you guys have such a, a good relationship because just juggling both of your answers, and this is what I expected and I'm not knocking either of you, but, like, Noah, you're so calculated, and, like, I feel like the analytical part of the game helps you a lot. Like, it's something that you thrive with and makes you better. And then, Eric, you're just like, give me a bat and a ball and yeah. let me go play. Like, that's just as simple as it gets. Like, that's why you're great on the golf course. Like, it, I feel like you don't practice. You just put the tee on the on, – you put the ball on the tee – and you're like, give me the driver, and down the middle it goes. Like that's just like how your brain works and how you operate. It's rare if I show up five minutes before tea time. <laughs> it's more like two, more like two minutes. More like more yeah. like five minutes after. <laughs> I'm pulling in right, <laughs> right as our name's getting called. He's got the Mickey Mantle gene. This kid shows up. The home run in the alumni game is the most impressive sports performance I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> Okay, so I, I did I did have that listed as well, and I'm glad you brought that up, Noah, because that was sensational. It was it was like the greatest thing ever. <laughs> yeah, that is the best sports moment of my life. The Big West Player of the Year has a is in the back seat compared to that home run <laughs> against the freshman pitcher of the year. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> under under the lights and everything. I mean, Noah, where were you where were you standing uh, when that happened? I was in the dugout, uh, probably with a cold one in my hand, just taking it all in. I, I got it on video. Uh, definitely had to get it on video. Definitely not leaving my phone anytime soon. I got to archive that for sure. Because, EY, what's your approach in, a, in an alumni game? Going up against Rod, who you said earlier in the pods, like you can put any number down and he's going to throw it for a strike. So, like, obviously you know his stuff, and you've had a couple cold ones. Like, yeah. it's, it's you're hitting under the lights for the first time. Like, it's just, like, how does it happen? Like, it just, me, it doesn't compute in my brain. Like, I just, I wouldn't be able to do it. There's just no way. But I mean, you're, you're something different. If you would have saw my BP before the game, I don't think I got one ball out of the cage. <laughs> it was rough. But... In the words of uh, Sam Cohen, if it's in between the dugouts, swing. That's pretty much what happened. It was the first pitch, and I was like, all right, let's just swing. And somehow it hit the center of the bat. <laughs> and it hit the center of the netting in left field. Now, that was – I was sitting there with my camera, and I, I was I was fortunate enough to snap some pics as you came into the shower. They greeted you in the dugout. But uh, 
a, a great moment for sure. And we hope to have a, a great moment like that in the 2021 alumni game. Um, yeah, hopefully that'll happen. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Cause we'd like to see Noah Davis on the bump for that. Right, Noah? Yeah, definitely. I thought about doing it this past year. I mean, if I had known that the season was going to get canceled, I would have gotten every inning I possibly <laughs> could have. So next year, you can probably pencil me in for at least an inning. Okay, before we go, let's get uh, U.S. Open predictions here. What do we got? I'm going, I'm going uh, Justin Thomas. Mm. I would say Brooks, but he's not in there. I'm going a, I'm to a go with Morikawa on the back-to-back. No one is wow. greater than him. Guys wow. nailed. Okay. Those are bold moves. We'll, we'll find out if that comes to fruition when this is released on Tuesday. All right. That's that's Eric Yang and Noah Davis. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. All right. Thank you to our sponsor, Kyle's Kitchen, and thank you to SB Baseball Data, Gaucho Baseball Analytics, Spencer Stewart and David Tillotson. Make sure to watch Bieber tonight if you're listening to this on Tuesday. Tonight against the White Sox, that's a big matchup with the White Sox leading uh, the AL Central and the Indians trying to hold on to a playoff spot. They're currently in the seventh position, but looking strong uh, as far as making a playoff spot. And thank you to uh, Noah Davis and Eric Yang taking some time. Uh, They had fun with that, and I hope to see them soon on the golf course, but more importantly, very soon on the baseball field. So uh, that'll do it for this week's episode. Uh, Stay tuned on social media for our guests next week. And uh, with nothing further to do, please uh, have a great week. Stay safe and uh, go Gachos. Gotcha.